Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone. Um, awesome to, to see you all here again and to see a lot of, uh, I guess, like friendly names. Uh, unfortunately, not friendly faces yet, but hopefully soon we can get in person and, and run one of these uh, all together. Um, but yeah, uh, super excited today to welcome Carolyn uh, on the show for the Mops Confession. So um, Carolyn and I, um, connected through Social Capital, which is one of the investors in Mad Kudu. Uh, and I, I really um, thought Carolyn could bring a lot of very interesting perspectives to the conversation today because, um, and she'll talk more about her role at Social Capital before moving to, to Bill.com. And at, at Social Capital, there was a lot of um, interactions of being deployed into different portfolio companies to understand like what could be done here and there from a um, you know, almost like data infrastructure or like MarTech infrastructure, uh, as well as kind of demand gen channels. And that kind of led her to want to become a practitioner and join the awesome team at, at bill.com, um, which we'll, we'll spend quite a bit of time talking about. So again, super excited to, to have you here, Carolyn. Thanks for dedicating an hour of your time to um, talk to us. Um, and so, yeah, maybe to get started, I would love to, to hear a little bit of the, of the backstory and even like how you went from like, legal to uh working in um you know vc world and then like transitioning to um a role in marketing at a tech company yeah absolutely uh thanks for having me i'm super excited to be here and to be talking with all of you um i yeah so i originally my path to marketing hasn't been the most conventional I originally moved up to the Bay Area to go to law school, um, and I had always been interested in law. I, I kind of thought of it as, you know, getting to build a thesis and kind of marry the analytical uh, and the creative side uh, into, you know, forming thoughts and change and everything. Um, after my first year, I didn't really quite think that that was uh, the direction it was moving toward. I felt like a little bit constrained, um, and so just took some time off to decide if I wanted to continue with that. Um, I sort of, tran I transitioned, I guess, into uh, VC uh, starting as their front office, social capitalist front office uh, person in an admin role. Uh, did that for a couple of years uh, and just kind of getting to know the team, uh, seeing portfolio companies and founders come in uh, was really in inspiring. And uh, one of the teams Social Capital had was our growth team, which worked with our portfolio companies on growth strategy. Um, and so just became really interested in the work that they were doing, uh, asked if I could do some shadowing and learn. And so I started off with an, as an analyst with them and kind of while I was doing the admin work, transitioned over into shadowing in these engagements, uh, just taking lots of notes on new metrics and things and strategies and uh, thought processes uh, for you know, just growth overall. And so uh, transitioned to that full time where uh, I got to start working with companies, mainly focused on user acquisition, um, as you can imagine, just with the different types of, whether it's B2C, B2B, uh, different stages of companies, just a lot of great exposure into anything from really setting up the plumbing and data infrastructure for earlier stage companies to uh, auditing existing data and kind of figuring out like what the next step level function would be for uh, driving growth at, you know, some of the later stage companies and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I think that between like 
sort of the data analysis pieces of that and kind of the brainstorming of what campaigns or initiatives can drive more growth, that's kind of where I hit like the sweet spot of being super engaged and loving my job and getting that analytical plus creative side that I had originally been looking for uh, within law. So uh, that's, that's awesome. Great. Yeah. Um, and so, and it's interesting, right? Because Bill is a much later stage uh, company than anything you'd probably interacted with uh, at Social Capital. So maybe, yeah, uh, tell us a bit about how, yep, how, how you ended there, and and maybe like some of the things that were, you know, very different from uh, what you had seen in the past. Yeah, definitely. So uh, we are a later stage company. Bill has been around since two thousand six. So. Uh, lots of time to prove out that product market and fit and everything, which is always easier to market something that's working and yeah. has some action. Uh, so that's been great. I did, I, on a personal development level, I wanted to transition into um, a space where I could be in-house and instead of sort of that consulting flow of engagement to the portfolio companies, really own like end-to-end -end initiatives from like pitch through execution um and get just get experience uh, in that way um i think on a company working at sort of this later stage company i will say that bill is sort of has been in sort of a unique position which really attracted me to the company where uh we've grown pretty organically for most of the time and have only really started to scale up marketing and really focus on uh marketing efforts within maybe the past three or four years and so it was kind of, it's kind of, we're in a unique position where my time is kind of split between things, setting up sort of those foundational best practices and everything. So lots of low hanging fruit and opportunity there, but also, uh, you know, we, we have a unique product, a lot of unique audiences um, and, you know, being in the Bay and, you know, in the tech, tech space, there's always, you know, cutting edge or new things new opportunities to, to source. So uh, I think that balance of opportunity has been really interesting as well. That's awesome. And so, and maybe for those who, who might not be, uh, you know, doing a lot of, of bills management, uh, again, like I was, I was telling Karen, like I, we are a happy customer of bill and uh, I actually love it, but maybe if you don't mind sharing like a quick, <clears throat> very like, quick overview of what uh, bill.com does and maybe a little bit of like the um, the target market. And then we can talk maybe a bit um, about how, uh, what the different go-to-market motions are to, to get a sense of the landscape of like, what are the things that need to be supported on the on the marketing side? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Bill is back office automation software. We Our mission is to make it simple to uh, connect and do business. So that's a lot of sending and receiving payments. Uh, the product comes with, uh, sort of these approval workflows. And it's really about taking your, our biggest competitor, we say our, our paper checks and everything. So taking like those manual uh, physical processes to online. So things like scanning in invoices, we have AI powered, uh, you know, being able to, I guess, sort of OCR those invoices and uh, port over, you know, the vendor names, amounts and stuff like that. Um, and then sending the payments via ACH and, and digital uh, methods versus uh, having to do those paper checks and chase people around for approvals and signatures. Um, so that's kind of the uh, overview of what the product is. Uh, in terms of like our go-to-market and target audiences, it's the same product, but used in different ways. So we have 
our core SMB uh, mid-market direct businesses that use the use the tool to power their own payments, uh, like likely like Madkudu. Um, and then we do have a sort of more of a partner arm, which are accounting firms. And that is sort of the same use case, but they're managing uh, payments for multiple clients. So what they, their product is more of like this dashboard where they can click in through separate dashboards for each client and manage the payables and receivables uh, for that. Um, and then separate from that, um, not really a use of the full-blown product, but we do have a network of people who are getting, you know, they get invited and then uh, they are getting paid through bill.com. Um, so these are users that it's sort of uh, like a, yeah, it's just kind of network growth where our existing customers are inviting these users to be paid by bill, totally free, but it's definitely an audience that we are working on and constantly trying to figure out how to um, leverage that uh, into, you know, upgrading to the full product and seeing value there, so. Makes sense. Uh, and yeah, and Asia was sharing in the <clears throat> in the chat, like the the accounts payable monster ads that uh, Bill.com runs. Yeah, there's like a very, very cool brand around this. And yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like, I remember in the and by the way, hey, Asia, uh, there's like a cool uh, I, I like when, you know, we started getting payments from customers. I just couldn't believe that we had customers who were selling sending us like, you know, like thirty thousand dollar checks. And you're like, what do I do with this? And yeah, like that's, it's so much better uh, with Bill. Um, but maybe talking about, so how people become customers. So it sounds like there's, there's a direct, there's an indirect motion, right? So you have like direct, so companies like Matt Kudu that'll set it, use this for the back office. And then you have almost like an indirect business where you might have some of the like CPAs or, or people that almost like run the back office for different companies and use uh, bill.com. So in terms of how, um, yeah, in terms of go-to-market motions, I mean, is there like a, a PLG motion, an inbound motion? Is there like ABM? Um, what are kind of maybe like, yeah, the, the core motions that, um, that you folks support? Yeah, um, so I would say sort of all of the above a little bit in some are earlier stages, more early stage than others. Um, I'm focused mostly on the direct side of the business. So to date, we've been pretty focused on more of that direct response, uh, inbound trial signups. Um, and stuff like that. So at the same time, we do have, uh, we are building out an ABM function uh, and we've always had a, a BDR team that, you know, just based on ideas and lists of prospects, uh, we do have an outbound sales motion as well. Um, on the accounting firm side, I'm less familiar with that, but we do have the same sort of trial funnel um, attracting inbound, uh, inbound, uh, signups there. Uh, and then I, you know, because of, I think we have targeted like larger accounting firms, um, that kind of, I think partnership has like a lot, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, defined lists of ways to prioritize that. So uh, that team kind of focuses on that, that piece. Um, and then within product for the, on the network side, we do have, uh, we collaborate with product, but product uh, has like goals around trying to drive more network growth. And then marketing too has been kind of collaborating more in terms of like upgrade, uh, whether it's CTAs within product or outbound sales for uh, those network users that are likely to upgrade or have an AP need. Um, those are kind of initiatives that we're starting to scale up there to focus on that segment. Yeah, and that one I think is an interesting topic, right? Because I see a lot of companies that 
have this PLG motion where you always have this thing of like, it, it's hard to know who should own what conversion uh, within the um, like the free trial or like PLG funnel, right? So curious, like on uh, for Bill, um, where does like kind of marketing's core responsibility stop in that funnel? When does product start? Is there like a growth team that sits between both? And it's just curious, you have to understand like how that uh, works there. Yeah, so I would say that we're really collaborative. It's been really one of the uh, initiatives that um, I get to be involved in that excites me most is this really highly uh, cross-functional team. Um, and we meet every week and it spans marketing, uh, sales leads, product, and uh, analytics, CS. And it's really about kind of keeping in touch and uh, even collaborative brainstorming across experiments that we can run to really optimize conversion throughout the funnel. Um, marketing, all of us definitely have our uh, our main KPIs for conversion, you know, throughout the funnel. So product is more focused probably on, you know, units that are, are you know, converting to customers. Um, whereas, you know, whereas marketing has more of a focus at like top of funnel and making sure to drive volume there. But at the same time, uh, with sort of thinking, we we want to drive quality users, of course. Um, so we're all, you know, as part of that group's effort, we're constantly uh, making sure that the leads that we're driving or the users that we're driving are converting at rates where the economics work out and enable us to scale. So um, I think that that's been it's. Uh, while we have like our main KPIs, it's definitely a lot about, there's a lot of focus on what all of the teams can do to improve conversion throughout the entire funnel. Um, so even things like uh, we've been have efforts to uh, really reduce like potential junk users or route them appropriately, um, which in some ways can, can lower the top of funnel volume, but at the same time we're improving conversion. Right. Um, yeah, that's super interesting. And, and maybe, and if you don't mind sharing, I <clears throat> like cross-functional meetings like this are like, can lead to, you know, a humming go to market motion, but they're generally pretty hard to, to manage. So I'm curious in terms of, is there someone who owns that, that meeting and, uh, and maybe if, is there like a, like a typical agenda that is set or I'm just like curious, like if we think about like, what is the blueprint that people here could take on and say, okay, like bill.com does it this way this is like a good blueprint to start with and actually we should try doing this i think like having a meeting of marketing sales leaders product and cx together I mean, is incredible it's like customer facing teams plus product but i'm curious like what's like an agenda that we could recommend and like potential owner for that meeting to make sure it, it drives in the right direction and not just like one team kind of just pushing for their metric uh, so that team does have uh, an exec sponsor, our CRO kind of oversees that. Um, at the same time, we've kind of whittled it down to lead, like one or two leads from each team. So it's a pretty mm -hmm. small group um, at the same, it's sort of a balance between uh, director level to some of the more of the IC, which I'm, I'm focused more on the IC work and everything. So I think it fosters really great discussion around high level KPIs for the team where we're driving higher level uh, kind of business considerations. And at the same time, having that IC layer really, I think in some ways the discussion and the collaboration become have become a lot more organic uh, where it's more kind of free flowing about uh, 
repurposing learnings from, you know, if CS is, you know, seeing a lot of success engaging with customers and helping them onboard, how do we repurpose that or, you know, maybe move that up the funnel and drive more volume um, to handhold and be able to convert more users. Um, so it's sort of discussions like that, that uh, I think it's just, uh, where it's very easy to just share what you've done, what you're doing, results from tests that we're running, um, things like on the website testing side, little, even the smallest change in terms of like copy um, and how it, it seems to improve the user experience, uh, product is able to leverage that and kind of make it a more consistent user experience throughout. So um, yeah, I would just say that having a healthy pipeline of testing within our own teams, but also kind of coming together and sharing learnings from that or brainstorming tests around that with that group um, has made it just a really easy way to communicate um, and keep in touch in terms of what we can be doing to improve throughout the funnel. That makes sense. And and in terms of size of the, of the, the meeting today, it's like six, seven people. Probably, yeah, I would say about 10 people in the core. Okay. That's super interesting. And I, I like the idea. And uh, I think there's, uh, I mean, Asia again, like reacting in the chat saying like, in her opinion, like RevOps should be uh, kind of spearheading these meetings. And it's just interesting to hear like the CRO kind of as the executive sponsor, which makes sense because most of the metrics impacted by the teams there um, relate to that person. And I like what you were mentioning of having the combination of having directors, but also having ICs so that it can have a very operational um aspect to it but also i think from a even from an ic perspective it, it's really exciting for ic's to be a part of these conversations because you're a part of building this new go-to-market motion making things better like driving with like recommendations on what are experiments to run and i like then the idea from an agenda perspective of saying like what are the the tests that are currently running any learnings on each of these do we kind of continue stop or something else and then what are the new tests that we think would be relevant to to start with and like be able to discuss what um, impact that would have on on different teams. Um, yes, absolutely. And from a like execution perspective, I feel like even though these things are kind of you know, a balance between high level and IC, uh, it really helps us in terms of executing cross functionally because kind of take we're all aligned on a customer volume goal as a group for that. And so uh, that really helps, even though we do have like our separate KPIs, uh, that's really our North Star metric for the group. And it just becomes a really natural way to kind of peel out of that meeting and set up ad hoc things with product on things that we want to collaborate on um, and really be able to execute there. So it, yeah, it's been really great. Makes sense. Uh, I did want to react to uh, one of the questions that we had uh, in there. And yeah, as a reminder, uh, there's like a questions tab in, in LiveStorm. So feel free to go in and, and add the questions that you might have. But yeah, um, Asia was asking how um, <clears throat> how hard and then how do you balance essentially like the different go-to-market motions? Like there's always this thing of like, you know, if you get more signups, that's kind of pushing down the PLG funnel. Like a signup is typically a potential demo request less. Uh, so it's something that doesn't go into the sales light funnel. So how uh, how do you balance the two? Um, and, and does it make sense and maybe like depending on, on team size, based on what you've seen, so there's one thing for build.com, but maybe looking at you know, companies that you've met, like, is there a risk of trying to do too much and covering, having too wide of a footprint rather than just focusing on, on one and really 
you know, optimizing the hell out of that one. Yeah. So I, we, I guess the way the team is structured really helps with that as well. So while I'm focused on demand gen for that SMB audience, there's another, my counterpart that is focused on the accounting firm audience. And so we have different teams that are kind of, even across product, they're split out by these different uh, audience segments. So we have these kind of owners that can drill down and really focus on our target, um, our target audiences. And really, so I think to your point, yes, there are a lot of it, you know, there are a lot of different streams or uh, a range of audiences that we go after and they're have different use cases and different ways that they look at the product or maybe even discover us. But at the same time, uh, we are kind of dedicated or have dedicated resources for drilling down and really optimizing the funnel for those specific channels. Um, I think in terms of, uh, you know, when to engage sales outreach and everything, uh, we're sort of tackling that from two, two or three ends, I guess I would say. So on the product side, there's always a focus around, you know, the onboarding experience, what are the high value actions that users need to take in order to see value in the product and actually convert? How do we make it more self-serve and very easy to complete those actions? Um, so we're constantly testing and optimizing on that piece. Um, from a marketing and sales standpoint, uh, for segments of our users, and we're you know, continuously also building this out and figuring out what are the right factors that we can pull in to get sales engaged. But we do have within our trial funnel, uh, once they meet certain qualifications or have completed certain actions, uh, sales will reach out to them and help them convert. Um, and so that's been also a constant area of exploration on how do we, what are those qualification factors, um, even looking at historical data and how user, you know, self-serve users have converted based on certain actions that they've taken within product and then starting to build that into our sort of marketing scoring motion where users, those users who have completed it now are going to be reached out to sales with hopes to boost that conversion even further. That makes sense. So, so I assume, um, so, so I think what you're saying is like maybe twofold, right? On, on the one hand, it's making sure that you have a process to even explicitly show that you're not cannibalizing one funnel with the other by saying, look, mm -hmm. someone who signs up for the product, if they were a good fit for sales, we are going to actually like, you know, push them to sales whenever they become ready. Um, and then like having teams that, you know, can work on, on both funnels to make sure that each are, are optimized. I guess the, um, and I know it's something that we, we briefly touched upon uh, last time we spoke, right? But so you folks like started running Facebook campaigns. It's kind of like, oh, like the, the old becomes the new. Um, and so before we dive into that, even like in the context of, of running a Facebook ad, how do you determine what CTA you want to push, right? So should you push to a page that's a landing page for a demo request or do you want to push for um, a sign up? Because then it, it's kind of like, how do you align essentially your like, or even how do you think about that and figure out what is the right CTA for, for what kind of campaign? Yeah, 100%. So um, we've done some testing around that. I think it's becoming some more of a focus and actually kind of one of my OKRs for this quarter is to really look at kind of the top of funnel journey and expand that out. So while we focused uh, historically more on that direct response, sort of always pushing a sign, trial sign up CTA, 
we're looking to expand top of funnel and be able to test different ways to sort of nurture users toward the trial. So really personalizing a lot more, um, investing more into content development um, to be able to kind of expose users to a sequencing of messaging that really highlights the pain point for them or um, surfaces the, the pain points that we solve. Uh, and then the progression would be more around, uh, you know, how do we solve that, looking at how the product actually addresses those uh, customer case studies as, you know, just kind of social proof or inspiration for how we've helped other businesses, and then hopefully getting them back to the site to convert for uh, their trial when they're ready. So um, yeah, just trying to take a more granular view into that. I think it's going to be uh, a lot about research and testing. Our product marketing arm right now is really focused on doing some customer interviews to get a better idea of what is the content that people really want to see. Um, and then from there, we can, you know, get that up and, and start testing it. So, yeah, I, I love that. That's one of the things that I feel <clears throat> and it's something that I do want to touch upon. Like you have a strong affinity to data. And, uh, and I, I think it's so important that even though that's the case, like there's like a you know, strong advocacy to talking to people, like at the end of the day, like the, yes, we can do whatever quantitative analysis we want to do like the best insights is talking to people, understand like what's, you know, what content resonated for you? Like, why was this relevant? What is the kind of content that you would like to, to read about? And I find sometimes we, because, you know, our, our, our funnels have become so digital and there's like so much data all over the place that we kind of always want to default back to data, but there's incredible value in talking to customers and looking at a specific journey. And, and the other point that I think you were mentioning about the two funnels that I think is, I mean, resonated for me is you, Bill has a fairly wide audience in terms of technical competencies, um, like a tech company. If I think of Matt, who like, we don't want to talk to someone, just like, give us a sign up, we'll sign up, we'll connect Zara, we'll, we'll connect everything. And, and then we can just get started, QuickBooks, all that stuff, and we'll start paying. But then on potentially more of the, like the CPAs or like some of the, you know, more indirect kind of customers they most likely want to understand what this can do, how it fits, and a demo request is a better fit for them. And so I think it's super interesting also to see like how you were mentioning of like there are teams that are specialized in different audiences and understanding those audiences have a different affinity to specific funnels and kind of catering the funnels to that audience rather than thinking about it as a like more high level. I love the fact that it's very customer centric rather than Oh, at bill.com, we want demo requests. So let's just push everyone to a demo request. But instead you're saying like, what do people want and how do we give them the, the experience that they want? Yeah, definitely. It's a, a lot about a lot about testing. I think even though we have pushed trial signups for the SMB segment, um, you know, even beyond sort of this nurture um, practice, I guess, like we have talked about, you know, just, you know, uh, what, how do we offer a demo request as maybe a secondary CTA or just kind of getting a benchmark on that. Um, and to your point about quantitative versus qualitative data, I think sometimes, yes, I, I love getting in the weeds and getting in the data uh, and trying to figure out, you know, what the best approach is from that. And luckily with Bill being around for so long, there is no shortage of that in historical uh, benchmarks, which is great. But at the same time, sometimes where it's going to be so difficult like this uh, sort of content research that we're, we're launching. 
um, where it's so difficult to identify trends or to really understand uh, even from the historical data what's going to resonate. Um, and in, even in the interest of just trying to be really quick and get something up and running in the meantime and iterating from there, I think that uh, sometimes the qualitative is, is best and then based on the tests that you're able to set up from that, the quantitative will come later. So Right. Yeah, and there's always the risk that you can't really predict what you don't measure, right? So if, if you don't have con content for a specific area, it's really hard to see how that content is performing because all right, there's nothing, right? So that's where yeah. talking to people can be helpful. I mean, there are ways to do it in data by looking at what are questions people are asking, but that's way more effort than actually talking to, to people. Mm -hmm. um, and actually that leads to, I think there's a follow-up question on the, on the content strategy, but I think it's a kind of two-part questions like who like which part of marketing owns um, the content strategy um, and, you know, more operationally, how, how is it managed um, given like the like complexity and kind of like duality of the, or multiplicity rather of the, uh, the segments that you folks have? Yeah. So um, I would say that sort of uh, how we have that really highly cross-functional team across the org within marketing, we have a similar collaboration where our growth marketing team really works closely with product marketing um, and also kind of pulls in our creative team to help with content development. Um, and so it's a lot about, depending on the initiative, it's a lot about collaboration um, as part of uh, this effort to drill down and expand top of funnel efforts and figure out like what the content strategy should be and what all of the touch points are. Um, we also have weekly things with product marketing so that while they run with this, um, while they run with this research, when they come back with findings, our team uh, can kind of isolate them into themes, uh, collaborate and work on the content development. At the same time, we have members or leads from paid media, uh, our website team, um, and just I think having those stakeholder conversations just within marketing and everything. Uh, in the same way our full funnel team works is just it's valuable insight for and learnings for people to kind of get or team members to get context or inspiration for how this content can be used uh, on the, their uh, own kind of assets. So uh, things like, you know, website personalization based on the type of content that we're driving. Uh, we can, uh, we have a flexible way of, of doing that. Uh, paid can kind of focus on testing or learn, I think, more about the types of content that we're developing and how that builds into their paid strategy and can be used to drive drive leads there. That um, makes sense. Yeah. And, and how quickly do you, like, or are there different cadences or essentially like, like right now you were saying like you're, the team is doing a lot of, of research. Um, is there like a similar cadence of like maybe weekly meetings to like be able to test things really quickly of saying, oh, let's push this out and see how it does. And, and yeah, so is there basically like two different levels of granularity between like, I guess like almost the uh, the theme of figuring out like what are the themes that we wanna develop against like big research to plan this out, like almost like quarterly planning and then within the quarter executing quickly to be able to learn and figure out what's the right way to execute against the theme. Yep. So that weekly sync is sort of one in the same. Uh, it w I wouldn't say it wasn't quite 
inspired off of just this research project, but the research project uh, on content is one of the things that plugs into this team. So it kind of works as, you know, whenever there are results or upcoming like big initiatives, it's just great, a great forum, I think, for the team to keep in touch and be aware of what everybody is working on, new capabilities that we might have and that uh, the team can test within their own channels and everything. Um, but, uh, I think, yeah, the cadence will, will shift and even things like reporting out website results. Some pages don't get, you know, that much traffic. So we'll have to wait a little bit longer for, for uh, significant results. Um, but where we do have results and stuff, uh, it's just time for the team to be able to share out or to show out progress and get things on, on everyone's radar. So that makes sense. Um... And so one of the, the topics that you you touched upon briefly that I, I do want to drill down a little bit because, I mean, dear to my heart, and I think it's a, it's a big question that a lot of people are, are wondering about today is, <clears throat> how do you determine when sales should engage with uh, a product lead, right? Because like there are some people who are advocates of like, oh no, like, you know, the there's the holy funnel of PLG that should not be muddied by the dirty hands of salespeople and people, I guess, think, well, you know, like sales are there to help. And if they can help convert by showing people the right features or like providing value, then there's definitely value there. Um, how, how do you think about this at Bill? And how have you iterated to figure out like, what are the different times when sales should be interacting with product leads? Yeah, so um, I guess I would say it's kind of been a pretty defined trial funnel to date. Uh, we are, it, historically it's been kind of how far they make it throughout the signup process. Sales does need contact information in order to actually do that outreach. Um, as we've become a little bit more sophisticated in our understanding of users, what the user experience is, um, different, I guess, uh, with enrichment tools and kind of being able to leverage some of the properties and, and uh, data that we get there, we've kind of expanded that definition into not just users who have made it uh, two step X steps into the product or into the signup process, but also laying on things like, um, are they an actual, do we, can we infer that they're an actual business and stuff like that. Um, and then as we build out more of this content strategy and everything, I think it'll be great that we can uh, maybe even move sales touch or contest moving sales touch to higher in the funnel where if at some point uh, they've interacted with enough of our content, um, we will be able to I get, a, get a better gauge of what the level of intent there is. And hopefully uh, that'll be an indicator for quality and, and uh, justify some sales, sales engagement there. Makes sense. So, so today it's pretty far down the, uh, um, the product-led funnel, right? It's like pretty much like people that we know have a high propensity to become customers. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's taking some factors for that and then just really how far they've made it into the sign-up process as well. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of and, been, yeah, the focus area. And is, because um, there's always this question of like, are we cannibalizing margin by saying, oh, like these people would have converted, you know, they would have swiped a credit card, but now we're like paying expensive salespeople to go talk to them. Um, there, there's some research that proves that's not the case, but I'm curious, like, 
is this something that's been helped by this cross-functional meeting with the CRO kind of owning say, no, we are going to do this because like even like two, you know, percentage of conversion points is, is enough to actually justify doing this. Or yeah, curious, like, has there even ever been a debate at Bill that we potentially shouldn't be touching sell, um, product leads? Yeah, I think that's definitely a consideration. Um, I think quick things that we've looked at or helps to justify the sales motion or sales engagement are looking at the users that do meet the qualification uh, and get sales engagement and what their close rates are versus the ones that we kind of have left to self-close based on just not qualifying for that. And so the gap in conversion rate between those are, are is pretty big. And so I think that they, that intuitively that does show value uh, on the sales side, as we've also made changes for the types of the qualifications, uh, you know, things like if someone's a business or not, and we've kind of shifted audiences around to where historically a user group, a, a user might not have qualified for a sales touch, um, but now tracking what conversion is now that they do get a sale, uh, do get a sales touch, uh, that that change has been pretty significant as well. So I think that justifies it as well. Um, I can't quite remember when we launched this, but we did also do a short holdout test where users were not get that should have qualified for a sales touch uh, did not get one for a little while, um, and we did see that the the close rates did drop off there. So with that, yeah. so. That makes sense. There, there's an awesome, uh, and I, I know we've shared this a couple times already on the the Mops Confessions, but uh, the team at Redpoint uh, actually put together an awesome analysis. Of, they they reached out to run a bunch of surveys against like portfolio and just regular and other companies to see like what was the conversion rate for untouched and touched. Uh, and what was interesting is there's a lift in conversion rate across all um asps so even like the super low asps like if you're selling at less than you know five thousand dollars a year there's still like a lot of value and or a lot of incremental um value in having reps talk to those folks um so yeah we'll probably put the the link in the in the chat uh now or later but uh definitely something that consistently i think we've seen that there, there's value in doing that um one thing i wanted to maybe talk a little bit about is uh, how you view the the mops role um it's like a fairly standard topic here like mops i feel like often gets pictured as the marketo admin um which i think is is a disservice and and kind of yeah a misrepresentation so i think you have a maybe a more analytical uh view on what the role of mops is but yeah, i would love to to hear your take on what the role of mops should be yeah um I agree. I think that Marketo admin is like a huge, a huge responsibility as well. So I think it's always really impressive with, and especially, you know, talking about the different segments and kind of edge cases, whether it's the network or the, our partner, kind of more partner channel or this SMB segment um, that Bill has, there's a lot of heavy lifting to do to maintain our database. Uh, dupe contacts. And so I know that marketing ops is always focused on really trying to maintain like a clean Marketo instance, how that, you know, works with Salesforce and everything. But even beyond like the heavy lifting of all of that technical infrastructure and maintenance, um, every time I've interacted with our marketing ops team, 
I feel like it's just been more uh, initiative focused and the context that they have for how our systems work really puts them in a unique position to help guide me and kind of plan for scalability in terms of tracking results. So things like, um, I, I just like a couple of weeks ago, uh, our one of our marketing ops leads uh, explained to me what a campaign is in Salesforce. And so uh, just understanding, I think, how the data that flows through and everything um, is help me kind of understand how like the reporting will work uh, when we do get test results for these different things. Um, and to your point earlier with kind of having so many different touch points with the digital user journey and everything, um, it was helpful to understand how campaigns can build into that or can be structured and response, I guess, events or uh, KPIs for different types of campaigns uh, can help us sort of tease out what how valuable a touch point was uh, within that user journey. So I think that guidance has been really helpful. Um, yeah, I think that they just had uh, just understanding, I guess, how all of that gets all of the data gets passed through and gets tracked for different cohorts uh, is I see them more as sort of a strategic partner in helping to define KPIs uh and really building out the reporting for, for our right. initiatives so and on uh maybe more of a data infrastructure uh kind of components that's one of the things of like having a, a plg motion there's a ton of data like product usage data that very often doesn't sit in marketo just because of the the sheer volume of usage so how um yeah how does mops interact with that data set and um yeah and today potentially like enable you you know and, and your team to run campaigns of saying hey we want to go after an audience of customers in the bay area that have experienced this or that and we want to send them like a specific note yeah so i am not uh super deep in marketo i'm not positive if we have that product data there but um i do know that there's been a big effort to kind of aggregate all of these different data sources uh, from product events to Salesforce and all of that uh, within a centralized data warehouse. Um, I think that marketing ops has kind of helped with uh, some of those types of initiatives or the PLD motions because and even just kind of as a company with the space that we're in, PII is very sensitive. So it's a lot, usually a lot about kind of being able to like test into things and almost more manually pilot initiatives until we're able to justify the business case and really build in that automation. So uh, just kind of collaboration between our team, the analytics team, sales ops to really get kind of be able to pull out like clean lists of users uh, and then launch camp, depending on what the initiative is to launch campaigns to like test what the traction is there. Um, and then we'll have kind of ongoing conversations with marketing ops. If, things are working or trending positively about how to really scale that um, and really do things like automated routing if there's a if there's a pocket of audiences that, that we see are, are really performing well and stuff like that so makes sense um so i know we're getting close to the uh the top of the hour so um there's a couple questions still that are in the chat and i also had folks uh email me questions before so uh, maybe you want to jump in a bit of a Q&A so it might go all over the board. Uh, um, so one of the um, 
and this is, uh, I think, an exciting question again of what is the your like your favorite campaign that uh, you've seen or has been run? Um, yeah. That's a good question. Um, one of the, I think maybe one of the bigger initiatives that um, we, were, we built out was our customer referral program, um, which is kind of follows your general consumer app uh, referral program where customers can refer in uh, their networks and get a gift card or a reward when, uh, when their uh, referral becomes a customer of ours. Uh, I think that that one was probably most exciting because it was one of my first initiatives getting to really build something for the ground up. And so getting that in-depth knowledge of how that referral funnel worked was really super interesting to me, um, especially because on the referral side, it's almost like a two-sided funnel where you have sort of the funnel that you are looking at to get customers to sign up and become ambassadors for the product and getting them to share. And so that whole is kind of a new approach or uh, something, I guess, a, a different way to think about conversion, I guess, of these customers. And then at the same time, uh, when a referral comes in, they enter our standard trial funnel. So there's that whole piece and everything. Um, it was inspired off of, again, like some qualitative research that we had done where a lot of our customers were naturally doing this or had come to us through word of mouth. So I thought that that proof point or just inspiration for that idea was uh, really interesting and to be able to put more scale and automation around it and really promote it to our user base uh, was exciting. And then I think that one of the, uh, I think interesting pieces of getting this up and running was just the different pitches, the process of pitching it across the org. Uh, I think when I, I sort of thought of it as like purely marketing uh, but at the same time, as we started to have those conversations, like pulling in product to understand how we could promote it to product and what user segments might be really valuable or see, see a lot of value or be really interested in this program was interesting. Um, even looking at our different channels of like the accounting firm, this ends up like not being just an idea that can be used for the direct uh, business customers, but how do we come up with an incentive model for accounting firms to engage with this as well. Um, will it resonate with our network uh, and stuff like that? So that was really interesting. And um, I think performance to date has been, it's been, we've gained a lot of traction. Um, we just went up within product in the past few months. So that's been really exciting to just kind of drive more volume there. Um, and just from a results perspective, I think, Seeing the close rates of these users, they're much higher than, you know, anybody coming to just coming even organically to our website. And so just kind of the learning of how big a social proof plays into that um, has been really, really interesting, I think, to me. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and maybe tactically, what is the... Um like how does the refer referral work, right? So people log into the platform, then they can invite someone to create an instance or, or is it something different or curious to hear? And if you have tried different things. Yeah, uh, so from a technical perspective, uh, a customer signs up for the program. Uh, we have a platform that helps to support the, the, the tracking and all of it basically generates like a unique link per, uh, per user. 
Um, and then they share out that link and it routes uh, referrals to uh, our sign up page. Uh, when they hit the sign up page, they get cookied. And so that cookie kind of just stays with them. Uh, and when they actually do sign up, it passes through that unique advocate value to, to tie that record back to the, to the ambassador. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And from a promotion perspective, are there, are, are there incentives both on the, uh, referee and the referral or, uh, only on one side? So to date, we've just done it for, we've only incentivized the uh, ambassador. So they get a gift card when their referral mm -hmm. becomes a customer. Um, we are in the process of testing or teeing up some tests to be able to offer sort of like this friends and family discounts to, to referrals as well to, to see if that, you know, helps with engagement and get them to convert. So. That makes sense. Yeah. And it's, it's awesome that it, it's working so well. I think it, it's funny, right? Cause it's one of the, like as, as often, right. We look at, uh, we can look at B2C to find inspiration for B2B and referrals is like one of the big uh, virality uh, loops that exists in, in B2C. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, it's great too, because I think some of those types of campaigns are very intuitive to users where it doesn't require a ton of explanation for how the model works and everything. It's just, even with uh, discussions about how to get promotion or a CTA and product for the program, it wasn't, you know, products definitely wants to make sure that it's a good customer user experience for what our product does. In this case, it was, uh, there wasn't like a lot of concern about referral creating confusion for the user or anything like that because it is just such an intuitive program. So makes sense. Yeah, I think on on my end, uh, and this is maybe I mean it's a recent one. It's more one that I've seen. I loved uh, segments ad on Highway 101 in the Bay Area that read "Good Morning LA" uh, was like the little tagline under like "What good is bad data?" I felt it was. To me, it's like one of the best like ads that's happened recently because it goes to show how marketing today is, I mean, your brand is critical. And if you don't have the right data infrastructure, you're going to destroy your brand. I mean, it's cool because it touches like the emotional side of like Bay Area people generally are not fan of LA. There's this kind of rivalry. Uh, and it is so absurd to imagine like spending you know, whatever the price is, like tens of thousands of dollars to advertise on Highway 101 and actually get it wrong. And it's funny because it makes that error look big. But how many times do we send out emails to the wrong people or like, uh, you know, invite people to a customer meetup, but they're not in the same country or, or that kind of stuff. And it that's very, it's detrimental to the brand. And I think there's um, today, like data is starting to play such a critical infrastructural role in in marketing strategy right where it enables you to maintain your brand it enables you to run the right campaigns on the right channels and not just like throw money at facebook or google um and and sometimes we it, like we we still have i think as marketers we haven't fully adopted um or accepted the fact that we need to become more data savvy to to avoid these kind of mistakes that can become very costly in the future yeah, absolutely. I think um, even speaking to our different target segments and everything, uh, marketing ops and data and all of the things that we're able to pull in really try to help us to be more accurate like that and to route users appropriately or surface them with the right experience. And even from like a cleanliness of 
being able to report out results if you know those users are polluted with people who are going down the wrong path because they aren't able to self-identify appropriately um it it i guess runs the risk of having uh some inaccurate or interpreting results in an ina inaccurate way right. so yeah, and it's so critical. I mean, like that, like brand is still is still incredibly critical, and using data to your advantage on, on brand, I think, is, is yeah, is is absolutely important. I like I see like uh, even Jason Hay, uh, who is yeah, they're they were talking about the Vanta billboard, which I think is also awesome. Like also very happy customer of Vanta, and I was talking to Eileen about this. Like they have this thing, compliance doesn't have to sock too much, um, and it's funny because it's it's very punny. There's a bunch of other billboards that I think are trying to be punny, but almost in a negative way, which is one of the, like, there's one, the funny thing is I don't know the brand, but it's like uh, tired of Snowflake or something like that. And to like, you know, bash <laughs> Snowflake a little bit. Yeah. It's funny, but at the same time, I'm never, I don't even want to remember the name of the company, unfortunately, because I feel like you don't need to bash like Snowflake, do yeah. something that's more about you. And like the Vanta one is perfect, right? It's funny. It's about them. The segment one is also about them and it's not about it's not making fun of people who make mistakes it's more about like hey look we're making a mistake on purpose to explain why we should talk um yeah that i think also ties into like this narrative of trying to surface pain points more so than uh just going straight to assuming that your user knows that you know exactly what they're looking for but like mentioning sock too is like That'll catch the eye of somebody that's, you know, that exactly. would be your decision maker for, for that software and everything. So, yeah. And I think, it, and it's very targeted, right? Like I, like, again, like I, I, you know, work with on our SOC 2 and renewing our SOC 2 compliance. So when I see that billboard, I know what it means. And this is like the good thing of having, it's very narrow. Like most people probably see this ad and they're like, I have no idea what this means. Yeah. And it, it doesn't matter. Right. And that's the, the cool thing about opinionated marketing and having very narrow segments like you you optimize for them the same way that you were mentioning, like, you know, you have teams that are going to run content and like specific marketing for these narrow audiences because it allows to be, you know, very specific and, and on point in every single interaction you have with them. Mm -hmm, um, maybe the last question uh, that I wanted to cover, it's a fairly big one, but uh, at a high level, yeah, what are some of the differences that you've noticed between like um, bigger orgs and smaller orgs when it comes to like, either the programs that are run or even how like strategy is, uh, is run. Yeah. Um, let's see. I would say in terms of how our programs are run, um, in, you know, it comes with both, uh, challenges, I think, but also upside, but I think stakeholder management across teams being at Bill and being at a larger org is understandably a little bit, uh, broader or more complicated in some ways. So um, I think providing insight into programs that are coming up and running across two different teams, uh, it definitely invites more, uh, more feedback that can potentially change how you're thinking about a specific program or even kind of delay out like what you can do and everything. Um, even now that we're a public company and because of the space that we're in, like legal considerations where, you know, SOC 2, I'm actually familiar with because every time we onboard a vendor, <laughs> that's one of the questions. Um, and so there are just a lot of like, I think layers, I think of 
stakeholders that need to be looped in um, in order to push things through. At the same time, uh, I do see that, so I think compared to some of the earlier stage companies I've gotten to work with, having the more flexibility on the, on the startup side and you know, even having tighter relationships across teams, it enables you to move a lot faster uh, in some ways. But I think at Bill, the upside of some of that stakeholder management and cross-team communication um, really also helps to make sure that we're launching something correctly. Um, but also, I think in some ways, uh, makes for better programs to get that perspective uh, from different teams, get guidance and feedback, and try to build that into the program is helpful. Um, and then in the same way that our uh, cross-team collaboration initiatives work, just getting in campaigns on the radars of different teams, I think inspires them to think about their own use cases and tests that we can run to create like a more consistent user journey um, or to really just tie everything, you know, from top of funnel messaging in together through product and everything. Um, I think it, it just kind of builds upon like those shared learnings and uh, sort of scaling an idea throughout the funnel or across different teams. Yeah, I feel like the, the more we talk, the more I, I really feel like this you know, weekly meeting, this cross uh, team is is really fundamental to the success of the go to market at Bill, because one of the things that I've typically seen, like one of the big differences you kind of expect and see is like more disjointed strategy and programs, like the bigger the company, because you have these operational silos and everyone is looking to optimize for whatever their KPI is. But I think the this meeting that you have, and it, it keeps on coming up, right? The way you talk about it, like, that's when we can figure out, oh, like we have this campaign and like leads people think about, oh, if this is happening, then we can latch on in this way or that way and make sure there's like it it's one, you know, big boat going in one direction rather than an army of tiny little boats, like all going in different directions and pulling their own way, which sometimes is like a bit of a challenge at these large organizations. Yeah, no, that is definitely one of my this, my favorite meetings, I think, of the week is always uh, to in touch on that and it's always great to have like inspiration for new tests or be able to set up new things uh, with that team so yeah it's definitely definitely helpful awesome well i know we're uh we're at the top of the hour uh and i just want to yeah again thank you so much for for this session i think it was very insightful and a lot of uh a lot of good stuff um i guess if people want to reach out to you or have follow-up questions like what's the best way to get in touch yeah, uh, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to connect with me there. Uh, and I'm happy to chat and set up time with anybody. So, yeah. Awesome. Cool. And uh, yeah, Laura just sent a couple of links also in the chat. Uh, if you want to register for season five of Mops Confessions, we have some awesome uh, speakers lined up. Uh, and yeah, thanks again, uh, Carolyn, for wrapping up season four of our Mobs Confessions. Uh, I'm excited yeah, to, um, for what's next and keeping the conversation going. And yeah, everyone have a good rest of your day and, you know, see you very soon. Great. Thanks for having me. For sure. Bye. Bye.